reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in those ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. 
Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. A warm welcome. My name is Adam. I'm the curate here at St. Paul's. I said earlier, I can't get this to lift anyone. I think uh, Ruth has been using it. Um, uh, so uh, that's why it's down there, but never mind. Uh, I was just holding some uh, books. Uh, we are beginning a series, uh, sort of, today, uh, thinking about whole life worship. I say sort of because um, actually the last couple of talks have been part of that as well. You'll have seen at the uh, top of the term card, it says whole uh, life worship. Uh, the idea is that all of our lives are a worship to God and all areas of our lives are submitted to God. Uh, and so all of the talks uh, have that as a theme in one sense. Some of them specifically talk about whole life worship, uh, largely out of, but not exclusively, out of this series by uh, LICC. It's an excellent series. You could use this as a home group if you wanted to. We've got a couple of these packs. Uh, we can lend them to you. It's got five or six uh, things in there. Um, so some of the talks will be out of that. Some of them won't over this next uh, term uh, together, but we are, we are on the whole thinking about how worship uh, should transform every part of our lives. With that in mind, let's uh, pray together. Father God, we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that you long for us to be in deeper relationship with you, for us to know your voice, to hear you, and to follow your leading. We thank you that you care about every aspect of our lives. And Lord, as we look at this passage together this morning, we pray that you would speak to us afresh through it. We pray that your word would dwell within us deeply. And that through this passage, we might know more of you, more of your love for us, and invite you into more parts of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I say the word uh, worship to you, I wonder what image uh, conjures up in your head. It might be uh, this sort of image. Uh, this is a new wine, I think, uh, or some sort of worship gathering. It might be a Sunday morning here around us. That might be the first picture that, gather, that comes to your mind. Uh, you might think beyond that, you might perhaps think of this uh, image. I've been uh, told off several times for the team that I've chosen uh, there. I, it's not a personal preference. I just typed in football worship into Google. This was the first image that came up. Uh, but uh, you, you see that, don't you, on a Sunday? There are people passionate about, uh, or through the week, passionate about a particular football team. You see that same passion often in rock concerts. Next picture. Um, there, don't we? We see often people perhaps worshipping uh, the, the rock gods that they see before them. Maybe more on a personal level when we see a relationship, uh, two people very much in love. Maybe we see worship between those two uh, and that as well. Um, uh, as I say, some of the talks in this series come out of the LICC uh, pack. And they've we won't show these every time, but they've created a few videos. And I'm going to show the one that goes alongside uh, this talk uh, this morning. So let's watch this to get thinking about this together. Head down, grit teeth, roll on another week. Monday mornings, mundane job and tasks. Eat, work, tweet, graft, sleep, repeat. Late nights, early nights, keeping balance right. Dinner, dishes, washing, bed, bath, morning light. Concentrating hard, throwing myself in. Lift my given hands to work and losing touch with what's within. Each day, a gentle numbing. <sighs> Sunday. Gathered church, gathered people. 
gather myself to worship, lift my heart. Head up, breathe deep, invite you into the week. Lift my given hands to work and touching heaven as I do. Lift my hands to work and work's an instrument of praise. Your abiding presence filling up my days. Turn my eyes to you and your delight compels my tasks. Lift my heart to worship, lift my heart to bask in your warmth. Even in busyness, I'm stilled in you. When scattered, you're with us and we are in you. So as I say, the whole point of this series is to think about in more detail how worship impacts our entire uh, lives, every area of our lives. And the first thing we need to do is have a good understanding of who we are, who God called us to be, to have a good understanding of our identity because our worship comes out of our identity. We need to know that we are God's children in order that we can worship him, not here, just here on a Sunday, but throughout uh, our lives. Just as a football supporter knows who they support, they often wear the colors of their team, the, the kit or the strip of their team. We need to know who it is that we support. We need to know who it is who we are. We need to know our identity. Right back at the beginning of Genesis, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with the Father. They knew who they were. They knew they were his children. They were servants, yes, but servants in the royal sense of the word. Now, that understanding was lost through sin and through the fall. And over the years, that understanding has been lost more and more. Jesus said to Zacchaeus in Luke's gospel, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which has been lost. Elsewhere Jesus talks about him coming to save those who are lost. Here it's very clear, that which has been lost. One of the things that Jesus came to restore was this relationship that God had in mind for his children right at the very beginning. This understanding that we had right at the beginning of our identity. Our passage today, this Corinthians, uh, sorry, Colossians passage, uh, Paul talks about this in, throughout it. He says, we have been raised with Christ. We're to put on the new self, put on this new identity. We're to know that we're chosen, we're holy, we're uh, dearly loved, beloved. We're to know that we're clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other and forgiving each other. That picture Jonathan shared right at the very beginning uh, that we had this morning of the walls of this building being golden like a palace. There are two parts of that picture, I think. Uh, the first is the truth that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's in his palace with his people. But also it tells us in Ephesians 2 uh, verse 6, says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are seated in the heavenly realms. We have a new identity. And true worship, first and foremost, whether it's here on a Sunday, whether it's through the week, comes out of knowing who we are and who God has called us to be. 
Jonathan spoke last week, and one of the things he said as he was using the illustration of the sponge and the water uh, was that we are both uh, in Christ and Christ is in us. So like a sponge in water, there's water in the sponge and the sponge is in the water. We are both in Christ and Christ is in us. What does that mean for us? Well, William Temple famously used William Shakespeare um, uh, to explain the point. He said there was no point giving him a play like Hamlet or King Lear and asking him to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. He could not. And he said there was no point showing him the life of Christ and asking him to live a life like that. Christ could do it. He could not. But if the genius of Shakespeare were to come and live inside of him, he could write plays like Shakespeare. And if the, if the presence of Christ were to come and live inside of him, he could live a life like Christ. If I was allowed one scripture to have on every wall in every building uh, that I ever frequent, it would be Ephesians 1, 18, verse, on, verse 18 onwards, just a couple of verses here. Uh, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Key verse in that, uh, key part of that, glorious inheritance. The point of inheritance is it's something that we are given. It's not something that we earn. It is given to us freely. Uh, you may remember, I told you once before, a long time ago, about these guys, uh, Zolt and Giza Pallardi. Uh, they were homeless, living in a cave, cave in uh, Budapest, uh, collecting scrap metal and selling that in order to pay for beans to live. That was their existence. Uh, and one day a lady came to them and said, I think someone's died recently who you were related to. Could I take a blood sample from you just to check that? And they saw nothing wrong with that, so they did. It came back and it re they realized that the, the woman who had died was their maternal grandmother. They'd never met her. Her mother had fallen out with her many years before they were born. Uh, when she died, they inherited her four billion pound fortune on that day. Four billion pounds, having lived in caves and eaten beans. Now, how ridiculous would it be for these guys to go back to that cave to continue to sell scrap metal and to use that money to buy beans? That glorious inheritance that they had, they needed to use uh, for the rest of their lives. How ridiculous would it be for them to do that? And yet we have a glorious inheritance which brings me to my second point, which is that relationship with God, our worship, means a death to the old patterns of sin, old patterns of behavior. This passage is very clear. Verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. It's a very strong language. It says, put to death. Now, I think we've got a picture um, here, uh, which uh, I, many of you will know this scene uh, from uh, Monty Python, one of my favorite moments in comedy. I was tempted to show it to you, but it's four minutes, and I couldn't justify it. If you don't know it, firstly, go home and watch it. Even if you do know it, go home and watch it. Um, secondly, the idea is that this guy, John Cleese, has bought a parrot which has died, and the shopkeeper is trying to convince him it's not dead, it's just asleep. And John Cleese, through various things, including whacking it on the desk, uh, proves to the shopkeeper that this is most definitely a dead parrot. Now, you could, uh, John Cleese tried an awful lot of things to try and get that parrot to, uh, alive. You could try and tempt it with, I don't know, assuming it's a male parrot, a female parrot. You could try and tempt it with whatever snacks it is that parrots love but don't, uh, shouldn't have. There should be all, could be all sorts of temptations you could put in the way of this dead parrot, but it was a dead 
parrot. And so therefore, it was never going to live again. This passage is clear. We're to put to death the old patterns of behavior, old patterns of sin. John Stott, many of you will know, uh, a great theologian, vicar of All Souls, Langham Place, for a long time, uh, died about eight years ago. Um, And he was asked about six months before he died uh, what the key message the church needed to learn in our generation. And he said that throughout his study of scripture, he'd always been struck by the themes that went through all the four main parts of the Bible, through the law, through the prophets, through the gospels, and through the epistles. And he said there are many themes that go throughout them. He said, but there was one that he felt had been largely neglected by society, and he felt that was the lesson we needed to learn. That was, he said, the call for us to be different in the world around us. We don't use Leviticus enough. John Stott used Leviticus as an example from the law. This verse, Leviticus 18, verse 3. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. The book of prophets, uh, the, the books of prophets, have countless examples of, uh, of Israel living the way that the, the land that they were in was. In the Gospels, Jesus said, do not be like them. Five very simple words. Do not be like them. And then the epistles as well. Our our chapter today is as good as any Romans 12. 12 might be a bit more uh, um, known by us. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Worshipping God, knowing who you are, should transform every part of our world. We should be distinguishable from everyone else around us. And if you hear nothing else from me today, hear those words of Jesus afresh. Do not be like them. Now, of course, we have grace. This verse, uh, Romans 12, goes on to say, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a process. But we know that there are areas in our lives, there are areas in all of our lives that still need to be transformed. Maybe the calling today is to heed those words of Jesus again. Do not be like them. And when we do that, our whole lives become a worship to God. Everything becomes submitted to him. The final point uh, I want to make this morning comes out of this last verse that we had read. Kerry read us a few minutes ago. Verse 17 says this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Most of you know, uh, before I was ordained, I was on the staff team of a church in Bristol. I was the operations director uh, for about five years. For about nine months before I started training, actually, I worked as verger of the church. We'd employed a new operations manager, and I was handing over uh, my responsibilities to him. What you might not know about me is that I share the vicar's passion uh, for straight lines of chairs in this place, uh, as I did in in Christchurch. We had exactly the same chairs in Christchurch, and I would love to come in on a Sunday morning for all the lines to be perfect and aligned. Uh, What would annoy me more than anything else was I would often be the first person in on a Sunday morning, and there'd been an event on this Saturday evening that I'd not been involved in, and I'd been promised faithfully, don't worry, Adam, we'll put the chairs back. Uh, And one line of chairs would be somewhere over there, and another one would be over here, and the line up the middle would look a little bit like that. And I would think to myself, why can't these people just get it? Why can't they understand it's just a line? I even, in Christchurch, had little dots on the floor for them to follow, and they still couldn't do it. And I found myself moving those chairs more often than I would like to, putting them back in line. 
And I felt quite grumpy about it, if I'm honest. Uh, a few months before, I'd been the operations director. I was going on to theological college. And I was thinking, why am I doing this when I don't need to, when other people could just follow the lines that I put on the floor? Why am I doing this? I really don't want to be doing this. And it was this verse that God spoke to me through. He humbled me. You'll be pleased to hear, I'm sure. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, you probably expect that now I'm in full-time uh, Christian ministry, that my entire life is spent... We keep that verse on the, on the screen, actually, thanks. Um, uh, my entire life is spent knowing this verse, and I don't need to worry about this, because all of my life I go from one prayer, worship, and prophecy meeting to another. That's what we do as vicars. Uh, sadly, that's not true. Um, and there are times still in my week when I need to remind myself Whatever we do, we do it, whether in word or deed, we do in the name of the Lord. So much so that my watch, which is just a moment ago, vibrated, rather helpfully on time, vibrates every, 12, every hour on the hour. And that is a reminder to me of this verse. Whatever I'm doing, when my watch vibrates, I think, am I doing this for the Lord? Am I giving him thanks through whatever it is I'm doing? And the way we spend our weeks will be as different as there are a number of people here. Jess, my wife, spends most of her week uh, looking after our son, Jacob. Many of you here will be uh, in various different things. Some of you engineers, some of you cleaners, some of you teachers, some of you retired. I could go through each job in turn and say, when you do that, do it for the Lord. But I don't need to because Paul is very clear in this passage. Whatever you do whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord. It doesn't really matter what you do. Whatever it is, we do it for the Lord. It's rare that we are called to do work. It's rare that we have to do work that is against the Lord, that we can't, do, uh, we can't follow this. Uh, a long time ago, I sold shoes to shoe shops. Shoes to shoe shops, very exciting job, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and the boss of that firm asked me to lie to the customers about the levels of stock that we had. I wasn't employed with him for very long after that, after I made my feelings quite clear uh, and what that was like. Um, we are called to do what we do in the name of the Lord. It's rare 